Hello and welcome to the Psychedelic Christian Podcast, the conversation at the crossroads of faith and psychedelics. I'm Clint, your host, and I'm thankful and excited that you've chosen to join us. Enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 14 of the Psychedelic Christian Podcast. As always, I want to express my gratitude to those of you who continue to share the show with others and to those of you who have reached out to me. It's very encouraging to know that my efforts are making a positive impact in your life, and I appreciate your feedback. And if you would like to help me spread our reach, please share the podcast with someone. It is also helpful to subscribe to the YouTube channel, or leave me a rating and review on whatever podcast app you use. You can also reach out to me on Facebook, Float, MeWe, or Twitter. Although I'm not very active on social media, I do try to check in regularly to monitor engagement and return messages. But the best way to reach me is always via email at contact at thepsychedelicchristianpodcast.com. Feel free to shoot me an email and tell me a little bit about yourself and how you found the podcast. And if you get value from the podcast and really want to help me improve the show, visit thepsychedelicchristianpodcast.com slash support, where you can donate to the show. That helps me cover my costs and free up time to, to produce more content. I recently added the podcast feed to Amazon Music and Audible Podcast, so you can also listen there now as well. We are currently hovering somewhere around 3,000 total downloads, and I'm kind of proud of that, considering we're only at 13 episodes. That just confirms my suspicions that Christians are eager to discuss this topic, so please continue to share and support my efforts as we navigate these interesting times. Today I'm happy to welcome Paul Reese to the Psychedelic Christian Podcast. Paul is a bit of a renaissance man. At the age of 46, he seems to have already lived many lives through his various careers and experiences. Although he now eats a varied and intuitive diet, he spent years of his life as a raw food vegan. He has lived off-grid without electricity. He worked as a personal trainer for clients on the popular television show ABC's Extreme Makeover. He worked as a personal trainer, chef, and life coach for the Average Joe on the Raw documentary. As CEO of Cleanse America, over a two-year period, he helped over 10,000 people through healthfully cleansing their bodies of toxins. And with no prior construction experience, he built his own house and wrote the book, Kinda Tiny Home, an unorthodox approach to building and owning your own home. He currently works in design, building, marketing, and sales with Hayhurst Brothers Construction, building beautiful custom homes that have been featured on the DIY Network and HGTV. He also currently operates Line 2 events, live events focused on teaching people proactive solutions for a changing America, with emphasis on building resilient, intentional community networks of people who cooperate to thrive during difficult times. 
Paul is also the author of the recently published book, The Psychedelic Christian, a book written for people searching the spiritual realm for truth, where he points people to Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. Paul is a very thoughtful and intentional Christian leader who just also happens to have varied and extensive experience with psychedelics. Paul currently lives in Bridgeport, Texas with his wife Brittany and daughter Kaylee, where he enjoys his work, travel, philosophy, meaningful conversations, and living out his Christian faith. Paul Reese, welcome to the Psychedelic Christian Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Look forward to talking. Uh, Paul, it seems that our paths have a lot of overlap, at least in our... (laughs) in some of their current manifestations, at least in regarding uh, our faith and some of our um, history and, and interest in the topic of psychedelics. But before we get into much of that, why don't you just begin by telling us a little bit about your early life, where you grew up, some of your spiritual influences, any church experience you had, and how that, how that shaped you. Yeah, so I'm 45 years old, and I've moved 45 times in my life. I was a military brat. Uh, My dad was at first a drill instructor and then a recruiter, and he was a really good recruiter. So anytime recruitment was low, they'd say, hey, Reese, we need you in Pittsburgh. Reese, we need you in Abilene. Reese, we need you in uh, Grand Rapids. And so sometimes we would move two to three times a year. Um, Had amazing Christian parents, like literally couldn't have asked for better Christian parents. Um, My mother passed away about 12 years ago. Um, My dad is still alive, but they truly showed the love of Jesus, not only to us, but to everybody that came into their lives. Um, You know, picking up homeless people, hitchhikers, they fostered, they adopted. And I was raised without a television, which, uh, you know, I didn't, appreciate <laughs> whenever I was young at the time but, yeah. yes now that I'm old I'm like wow I was reading two to three books a day and I went and made friends and rode my bike and learned how to hunt and you know all the things that people don't get to do in today's world and I'm very grateful for that experience now somehow um, with even with MTV I managed <clears throat> to do all those things as well so nice all those things seem more important I guess mm. mm-hmm so yeah, um, as far as church is usually uh, usually very conservative, either Baptist, non-denominational, kind of the foundation was for grace, are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Uh, cessationist, my dad might be the most charismatic cessationist, like he just truly loves the Lord. And, um, you know, in a Baptist church, he'll be the one saying amen, uh, you know, multiple times and loud, which is about as charismatic as a Baptist church will get. And uh I love my dad and he has a relationship with the Holy Spirit. But yeah, they, that's how I was raised. Um, we had devotions every day. Uh, they prayed with us every day. I memorized chapters of the Bible early in my life. Yeah, I was raised in that. Uh, and that's all I knew. At the age of 12, uh, we were in an unhealthy church environment and a lot of hellfire and brimstone, like pretty much every sermon was hellfire and brimstone. And, you know, at the age of 12, I started to consider what it would feel like to burn in hell forever, you know, and that was a very terrifying thought to me. And 
I remember I've said the um, sinner's prayer like so many times just because I knew that's what I was supposed to do. I mean, I used to lead people to Jesus and walk them through the sinner's prayer. They're my friends. And I would say, but I never felt anything change in my heart. I always was like waiting for something to change. And, you know, the moment that salvation happens can, is a little bit of a mystery to me when I look back on my life. So I don't know if all those words that I spoke as a child without having a full understanding of sin or of what Jesus's uh, sacrifice meant or any of that. I don't know what it meant uh, as far as when I was saved, quote unquote. But I remember at the age of 12, after saying that prayer, a lot of times that I closed my heart off to God out of fear. Like I was just, I was scared and I didn't feel any different. I just kind of closed my heart off to God. And the pastor there had kind of a God complex as well and very controlling, domineering. Uh, and so I, <clears throat> because I was reading the Bible and a lot, uh, I started to try to look for ways that the Bible was wrong at that point, uh, because I kind of closed my heart off to God out of fear. And, you know, if you read the Bible, even I still wrestle with very deep parts in the Bible. I mean, there isn't a single subject in all of philosophy throughout the history of the world that the deepest questions aren't contained in the Bible. And so if you are thinking person, and I was and am, uh, there's some very deep things to wrestle with in the Bible. You know, I went to the parts, Old Testament or New Testament, and tried to look for contradictions, and I started to try to look for hypocrisy in the church, which is, you go to any church in the world, and, you know, within 30 minutes, you can find hypocrisy, and so that's not a challenge. Uh, my parents did discipline us, and they loved us. They never went past that, but they they loved us, and they disciplined, and I was the firstborn, and I got spanked a lot. They kind of experimented on me, I think, um, with the spankings, so I couldn't openly rebel uh, so I basically, you know, lip service, uh, obedient actions, but my heart was hardened towards God and I, um, wasn't open to really receiving, uh, any spiritual truth or knowledge from the Bible after the age of 12 to about the age of 30. So that was kind of uh, how I grew up. And, um, I'm very grateful for it now looking back with the amount of experiences we had. And then I have, uh, six siblings in our family. And um, just getting to travel and then truly reflecting on the love that my parents showed everyone. Like the football team would show up at my at our house. My mom would just make like three pans of lasagna and we'd like clear out all of the furniture and we'd have like wrestling matches in the middle of the living room. And like my mom just took, you know, people aside and loved on them and cared for them and prayed with them and encouraged them. And uh, my dad did the same. And uh, so I was very blessed for that part of it, um, incredibly blessed. And also just moving two to three times a year forced me to be able to understand people, to be able to be the new kid three times a year in a school. Um, is And even at the end, like we adopted a, um, my brother is black. And uh, when we adopted and we moved to a school that never had any black kids. And so in Texas and that, you know, so to have those kind of groundbreaking experiences where you get to see real life situations play out and live through them and learn from them um, is something that I'll like forever be grateful for with my parents. But yeah, my mother passed away about 12 years ago. My dad is still alive. And that was how I was raised. Having a big family like that and having constant interaction with, with other community members and obviously relocating on a consistent basis, that kind of uh, constant social upheaval can either 
positively shape you or it can crush you. <laughs> right. Sounds so, sounds like you adapted pretty well to the you know to the constantly changing dynamics. I did till I was fourteen, and then I got mm-hmm. my first crush, and I was like, "No, this is the love of my life." I can't. I don't even remember her name. Right. And I was like, well, how can we move? Uh, yeah, but it got a little harder once I started liking girls, but uh, it was still good. Right. So you you began to kind of, I guess, for lack of a better word, uh, maybe lose faith or maybe kind of um, question the traditional, you know, Christian concept of God. And obviously, you know, given that you were in a setting where there were certain cultural and family expectations, you couldn't voice those concerns. You couldn't have, um, I'm assuming, you know, I was raised similarly in a Southern Baptist situation, you know. Usually, if you if you attempt to entertain your questions in that kind of setting, people naturally have a negative reaction to your questions or your concerns, and it's not you're usually shut down. You know, it's not like you're mm-hmm. walk, you're, you know, there's no walking you through that process and and uh, kind of letting you live and understand. You know, your questions. You're usually just condemned and shut down. So in order to avoid that, I'm assuming you kind of repressed those thoughts. Yeah, uh, I guess the older, maybe like 16, 17, 18, I might have started to try to ask questions. Um, You know, even back then, it was wrestling with the whole predestination, God's elect kind of thing, and just kind of, you know, summarizing things in my own 16-year-old head and asking questions uh, that really I haven't heard anyone have an absolute answer on. And I would say that my parents were very open, I would say, to questions, but I just, I think because the authority of my father, and I just knew that he knew the Bible so much better than I did that if I asked a question, he would take me into the Bible and then like he would just be right. And so I almost just like held the uh, questions inside my heart um, and in my head. And uh, there are a lot of parts of the Old Testament that confused me. And I would say that in the churches that we attended, the questions weren't readily received or if they were, you know, it was never uh, let's like really explore this question. It's like, here's the answer. You know, it's not like, um, let's go deep dive on this. But yeah. Um, questions. Uh, not till later, man. Did I start having questions? Probably 23. So how did that shape your young adulthood? Like, like at what point did you start a career or education, kind of leave your family's home? And then what kind of, you know, spiritual direction did that take you? This is an interesting part of my life that uh, has a lot of layers to it. My whole life has a lot of layers. But so growing up, went to every different type of school, uh, went to private school, went homeschooled, went to my graduating class uh, in Dell City, Texas, was 12 people in my senior class. And then Pennsylvania went to a school that had 3000 kids per class. And so uh, had every type of schooling experience growing up. Then I went to Angelo State University and uh, studied English and um, kinesiology. And I was going to be an English professor or a trainer. And I was dating a woman and uh, she got pregnant. And then uh, I have a beautiful daughter uh, named Kaylee, who's 23. And uh, when she became pregnant, um, we got married. Neither one of us knew Jesus. I was 
21, she was 22. And within a matter of, I don't know, a year, some very major spiritual things started to arise that never came up when we were first dating just because we were partying and never really explored depth. Having a daughter forced us to be uh, sober and not to be partying so much. And then a lot of issues came up that I didn't know how to handle, honestly. And uh, so stayed married for three and a half years. And at the end of that uh, period, uh, we both, uh, my ex-wife and I both hurt each other very bad, like, like really bad, a lot of pain. Uh, so I went through a divorce and that I was in college at the time. And I literally um, just dropped out of college without like in the middle of the semester, just left, packed up my car, drove to Austin, didn't tell any professors or anything. It was just, it was a crazy time period. I was going to do some really, really bad things. And, um, my actions were going to, uh, affect my ability to see my daughter. And I knew that I was going to, um, do something really bad. So I had to leave that town that I was in. And, um, yeah, for the next two years, it was just, uh, the darkest two years of my entire life. Uh, just going through a divorce and feeling like every level of negativity that you could feel from anger, jealousy, betrayal, sadness, guilt, manipulation, lust, you know, like everything that you could imagine, um, on the deepest level, I, was feeling those things. And because my mind had closed off after the age of 18, when I left and just rebelled against everything my parents ever taught me, I, um, you know, I didn't, wasn't open at all to Jesus being the answer to Christianity being the answer or the Bible having the answer. And so uh, I had started in college, uh, I started smoking weed and I started drinking and I didn't, didn't really like drinking. I think just because I've always been into physical health and sports and like, testing my body and pushing my body. I just never felt good drinking, but I liked uh, marijuana. And um, then I started doing uh, mushrooms and some other things just recreationally. And that was uh, interesting, but there wasn't, and this is at the age of like probably 18 to 21 or so, there wasn't any like real intention. It was almost like just recreational exploring. This is interesting. But whenever the divorce happened, it was as if that pain became a question. And I explored that question of pain uh, through eating mushrooms a lot. You know, when you're in it and it's your first time doing it and then you are, um, it takes you obviously on a journey. And so it, it seemed to help me transcend the pain to understand it. You know, it did some things that even to this day, when I reflect on were very powerful, honestly. It took me like if anybody had talked to me in my life for those two period, two years of pain, I would have immediately said it's her fault. She did this. She did this. She did this. Like just projecting everything, you know, even though I was equally at fault in all the things that happened to end the marriage. I remember one trip specifically where I, uh, I just basically saw everything that was inside of me. And it was like, so disgusting. Like, I was just like, oh, I like saw the anger. I saw the manipulation. I saw the um, guilt. I saw the sadness. I saw the grief. I saw the failure of being a father, not being my daughter's life every day. Like in like the deepest, you know, cell of cells in my body, like felt it and saw it. And I was like, man, this is my fault. Why am I saying it's her fault? You know, and that's something that, 
you know, honestly, that I've seen the Holy Spirit do for people, you know, if they are like the Holy Spirit reveals those things to them or breaks them or breaks them or pride or humbles them. And I've seen prayer do that in fasting, but uh, this is pre-Christ. And it was, uh, <clears throat> it was an interesting thing to reflect on, but I ate them so often that it almost became like one, like, like for a decade, almost became like that was, I just lived in an alternate kind of reality for like a decade because I was pursuing enlightenment. I thought that so much growth, quote unquote, was happening uh, that it was always good. So yeah, that's, uh, I would say the intro to where I kind of began taking mushrooms. And I would say the 99% of what I ate uh, were mushrooms hundreds of times. And I've tried, you know, all the other things, 2CB, 2CI, LSD, um, DMT, um, salvia, like all, you know, all the other things I tried as well. I just never, it never felt natural to me and it never, um, you know, I had unique experiences on them, but um, for some reason I was always just drawn to the mushrooms. So yeah, I don't know if you have a question from that point. I know there's going to be levels to this conversation. Well, one thing it particularly, and I know you can't really give a physiological or psychological answer to this, but it's a question that I have. You know, so often we hear the urban legends of the guy who took acid and then he, you know, lost his mind and jumped off a roof, or maybe he just never recovered. He was always the local stoner guy. Like how how do you reconcile that? So as a person who's used psychedelics deeply and extensively for like a decade of your life, and here you and I are, you know, middle-aged men having a normal conversation, you seem, as far as I can tell, unharmed by these things. Um, I don't know how to reconcile that, you know, because anytime I breach, broach the subject with someone, you know, they always jump to those urban legends and I'm not dismissive of that. Obviously some people, they crack mentally. Yeah. Um, how have you or I, or many others managed to weather that without being broken? And I know you can't answer that, but maybe we can just explore maybe elaborate, it. explore it for a moment. Um, is, it, well, is it something about the foundational psyche of the person who's able to endure that or or become introspective yeah that's you know that's interesting question in the indian culture they would uh, have a calling um, and basically if you took or had a shamanic experience uh, and you weren't called to it then they said you were foolish so in the Indian culture, they believe that it was a calling and uh, you would only do that. And so I don't know in the American culture, I don't, I think it's more of a choice than a calling. And I've studied nutrigenomics before, which is the study of how individual nutrients or food assimilates into different body types. If you're blood type or ectomorphic, mesomorphic, endomorphic. Uh, and so there are different ways, like, you know, the cup of coffee you're drinking um, right now, 80% of people in the world, when they drink a cup of coffee, they have a, uh, a fast enzyme that allows them to process the caffeine quickly. They take, they absorb the antioxidants. It's beneficial to them. 20% uh, of the world have a slow enzyme in their liver. And 
they just take the full brunt of the caffeine. They never absorb the, absorb the antioxidants and it ends up creating adrenal fatigue, uh, hypertension. And that doesn't make coffee right or wrong. It just means that you were born with a specific liver inside your body that makes you unique. And that makes like, if you pay attention to your body and you get tired when you drink coffee, maybe you shouldn't drink coffee. If you have a lot of energy when you drink coffee and you feel great, then coffee is for you. And so you can discover that through intuitive eating and just listening to your body, but most people aren't aware enough to tap into that. I think that part of that would be uh, deep intuition with one's own body and wisdom. I also personally have friends who I love who went insane, who went crazy, who, who snapped, uh, stayed up for many, many days on end, ended up having to, you know, be, go to psych wards and get tranquilized and tackled and like literally going crazy and uh, like smart, intelligent people that were successful in every area of life. And that happened to them. And then other situations I saw where the demonic actually played into their experience and kind of opened doors that were nearly impossible to shut. Some of them went crazy. I would say those were a minority of, you know, things that I observed and I led, led a pretty crazy reality for a decade and met a lot of different types of people. But I have seen the outcome be that people go crazy. And the catalyst for me giving my life to Christ was that for the first time in my life, I lacked control of my thoughts at the age of 30. And um, I remember the first time I took mushrooms, uh, I was um, was in San Angelo, Texas. I had like a 79 Camaro and I was gonna, I took mushrooms and everything was just going crazy. The walls were going crazy. And I had a 79 Camaro and it was winter time and went outside and I had a flat tire and I turned the car on and I was going to drive my car as an idiot. I was going to drive my car to the bar with three tire, like with a flat tire. And my brother was trying to talk me out of it. And, and as I was looking at the car, it just turned into this massive Panther. This was like breathing smoke. And I was just like, all right. And so I just like, you know, turned the key, uh, keys off and I, uh, hopped on my bike. I, I like to bike. And so I hopped on my bicycle and, and it was only like four or five miles and I started riding and randomly like, and this is like a, like, in the middle of the deepest strip, a cop pulls me over and it's like nighttime winter. I'm riding my bike and a cop pulls me over on my bike, which I've never had happen in my entire life. And he comes up, shines his light in my eyes and like his face is like dripping like off of him. Like his whole body's like melting in front of me. And uh, for like, there was something in me that I just acted normal. And I just answered his questions. I was like, yes, sir. I'm just going to see my girlfriend. We're going to play pool. And, um, you know, my car had a flat and I just like answered him normally. And, but like, I was like full on. And at the end of that experience, I was like, like, I, I know how to like act while my brain is going crazy. And it was like, it was, uh, it was an interesting observation of myself. Um, but the catalyst that led me when I fully just gave my life to God, and this is at the end of, you know, a decade of a lot of stuff. And this was heartbreak. And I was 100% raw vegan at the time, doing like 30-day fast, liquids only, living off-grid with no electricity, just becoming friends with silence, like definitely like periods of enlightenment, just sitting under the tree for hours in the sun and doing lucid dreaming nine times out of 10, um, sleeping four or five hours a night. You know, I was making a lot of money as a trainer at the time, just walking with people outside and just, <clears throat> and I, my dreams started to become haunted 
And uh, in, normally in my dreams, when I was lucid dreaming, I could just take control of my dream. It's like, oh, I'm going to go fly into the universe. I'm going to go to New York. I'm going to go look at this mountain or go have this adventure. And I could take control of the dream. I couldn't change the dream, but I can take control of my actions in the same way I could get up out of this chair and go get some water if I wanted. But in this dream, particularly, these uh, very dark, almost like black hole demonic entities kept on floating next to me and they were kind of taunting me in the dream they're like hey come play with us if you're so powerful you know but it was like very kind of making fun of me and like a sarcastic like and i could just feel their presence and it was just vile and evil and i was just like try to i would just wake up and uh like i never had in my entire life an issue with falling asleep if i want to fall asleep let's close my eyes and then just breathe and focus on my breath and relax my body from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet and i'm asleep and uh that was the uh first time where every time that I fell asleep. Those entities were in my dreams and it kept on getting worse to where I didn't fall asleep. And then I honestly forget the timeline of length of time where I didn't sleep, but probably more than two days. And I might've like slept for like 20 minutes and woken up. But you know, when you go into a town and then there's the local crazy person, everybody knows and he's walking around punching the air and you know, he's like, has a dirty outfit on and nobody engages him. And he's like cursing and he hits a stop sign and he like kicks something. And then he's like talking to himself and mumbling. Like that was the first time where my brain started to do things. And I was like, oh, wow, this is not good. Like I'm not in control of that thought that's coming out of me right now. And this, this is bad. And I mean, I'd been, you know, for the last decade with my full on experiences where I was still felt an element of control. And this is the first time where my brain, I felt started to break and I felt myself like, okay, this, you're going to go crazy if you continue this path. And uh, my friend came over and he was a Christian and we had done philosophy groups together. And uh, I really appreciated his perspective and depth. And he prayed with me and there were demonic entities that named themselves and they came out of me and I could feel what each one of those entities was creating in my life. And whenever they felt, I just felt like so much lighter and so much clearer. And I, I'm not sure how long that prayer lasted, but it was powerful. And he called on the name of Jesus and in the hierarchy of the spirit realm, uh, the name of Jesus is at the top. And that, that just showed me very, very clearly that Jesus's name has power. Jesus's name is real. And, you know, before this event, if someone had ever suggested, oh, you need prayer. I was like, no, you need to learn how to be silent for three days and not talk and see if you can control your brain. You know, you need to (laughs) go eat some mushrooms and sit underneath the tree or you need to like not eat food for 30 days. And like I was in control of so many other parts of my life and body that I would always give people advice on what to do to remedy a situation but then i found myself in a spiritual attack that jesus was the only answer for and that um was so insightful to me so that night i didn't give my life to christ um but the next day like at that time in my life i was basing everything in my life was off experience i was like if experience shows that it's true then it's true and that was you know it's uh that's a flawed way of approaching it but that's where i was at the time and I just couldn't deny that Jesus's name had power. And so I literally got on my face and just cried out to God. And you know, I was just like, God, I don't know who you are, I, but I'm just giving my life to you right now. And Jesus, your name has power. And I felt it. And thank you for 
you know, sleep and thank you for peace. And I just poured out my heart to God and was like, just use me, uh, God, like whatever you need to use me for in this life, just do it. And um, I felt a peace come over me that day that's never left. And I would say for the next four or five years, I made some pretty big mistakes as a Christian, honestly, because I had trained myself to read the Bible in a specific way where all I would see were the things that I felt were wrong or that I had judgments against or there were contradictions. And so I started relying on the presence of the Holy Spirit and what that felt like. And I learned that pretty quickly, like if you're not grounded in the word, like if you're not using God's word to verify what the Holy Spirit's telling you, that your own want, will, and desire can be what you intuit as quote unquote the Holy Spirit. So, you know, I started doing and saying things and saying the Holy Spirit led me to do this or showed me this. And it was like, it was really what, it was really me. And, you know, there was a period of life where I made mistakes uh, as a Christian and I look back on them now. And um, I'm glad that I, the, the Holy Spirit finally broke me, put me on my face in the dirt, broke me of pride, uh, intellectualism of a bunch of different things. And that's, there's a lot of crazy stories in my life, but then God also just called me to start reading his word and reading the Bible. You know, it showed me that word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against these, uh, like literally memorizing the Bible so that there's seeds of truth in your heart and that, um, take hold and literally produce fruit in your life. And so that kind of, uh, was a small abbreviated version of 10, 15 years. Yeah towards the end of what you were discussing there about learning to live the Christian life, you know, learning to live the Christian life is like learning to do anything else to some extent. If you just suddenly start playing pool or playing football or learning to knit, you know, you're going to make mistakes. You know, it takes a while to understand um, the rules of the game. It takes a while for you to understand your own natural, intuitive uh, abilities and strengths and weaknesses. And the Christian life is no different. Some of us are just naturals at being parents. To some of us, that is a real challenge. You know, some of us adapt really well to the lifestyle of marriage and settling down. And for some of us, that's a lifelong struggle. And I think we don't give ourselves and often others enough grace to bump around a little bit within the Christian life. You know, it's, 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 it's a struggle. It's, it's, it's a lot of, it's an uphill climb. Sometimes you're, you're learning self-discipline, you're learning theology, you're going to make mistakes. Life has made me a more gracious person because, mm. because I've bounced my head against the boundaries of, you know, of the Christian life. And, but real quickly, let's dig in, aside from psychedelics, uh, let's dig into a little bit of that, that decade. You, you uh, bounced around a lot with a career and uh, trying out different, you know, health protocols and lifestyles. Maybe, like, where did you go? What were, what were you doing? What kind of uh, careers did you find yourself in? How did you pay the bills during all that time? Man, let's see did a lot of retail, waiting tables, bartending, wine bars at the beginning. They went to massage therapy school. Uh, that was in Austin. Then 
I helped open a smoothie bar, the first raw food restaurant in Austin. Um, it used to be called Daily Juice and it was Juice Land. Uh, so I worked there for a couple of years. I became a raw food chef, um, became certified as a raw food chef and helped lead a lot of events. I was a chocolatier. I made chocolate and really good chocolate and I love making chocolate. But yeah, I had about 18 different accounts in Austin that I would supply. And then <clears throat> I lived in Austin twice. And so that first experience was all kind of, I've always had, no matter what my reality, I've always had like three or four jobs, like at the same time. Like right now I'm running line to events, writing books, promoting them, making furniture, doing sales and marketing for the Hayers brothers, which we designed and built homes. So there's always been like lots of layers in my life and, you know, building things on my own, building a geodesic dome, building a tiny home, building rammed earth wall, like all that right now. <laughs> and so, so Austin, let's see. And then I went to Santa Monica, uh, went with the relationship there. It was a crazy relationship. I got connected to uh, the personal training world. I worked as a personal trainer for all the clients for ABC's Extreme Makeovers, the show. It was the number one TV show at that point back then. Uh, learned a lot during that experience, did life coaching, helped people learn how to lose weight, learn their <clears throat> body types, how to exercise, how to eat, made really good money there, made a lot of good connections. Moved back to San Angelo, Texas, the place that I desired to be in the least of any place I've ever lived in my life, to be back around my daughter full-time because I was flying back and forth from LA for two years and it just wasn't, it wasn't healthy. And um, so back in San Angelo and got into personal training, did massage, life coaching, got some, because I'd moved back from LA, I was able to charge a lot of money. And that's kind of when I, I was also going a little bit crazy from uh, leaving this relationship there and kind of going through heartbreak. And um, that's kind of when I decided to live off grid with no electricity. So I did that for a year um, just so I wouldn't be haunted by music or thoughts or TV or anything. And I uh, did a lot of cleansing, lots of meditation, uh, but mostly at that time I was training, speaking, hosting, you know, dinners for people. And uh, so for that decade, that's about, that's about the extent of the things I did. And I'm sure there's, I pedicabbed in Austin, uh, you know, pedicabbing is, it's like you ride a bike and you pull people behind you. Oh yeah, like a rickshaw. Yeah. <clears throat> in downtown Austin, I did that for a couple of years and uh, got really shredded and strong and met a lot of interesting people. Um, so yeah, it's uh, a lot of different jobs I had during that time. This is more of an observation than, than a compliment, but you can take it that way if you want. But you, you seem to be a very um, self-disciplined person. Like once you commit, like once you are interested in something, you seem to like be able to do whatever's necessary to make that work. Like a lot of people fantasize about being a raw vegan or going on a 30 day fast or, you know, changing careers on a dime, but they don't have the internal like inertia to do that. You seem to be pretty committed to an idea once you, once you see it, just an observation that, you know, a lot of us aren't, I'm more mm -hmm. of a slow and steady uh, paralysis analysis kind of person. <laughs> mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. As an observation, uh, I, I learned that one of the benefits of moving around so many times growing up is that I learned how to care less about what people thought about me. 
um, and it was just being myself. And I see if I go to a small town or something and I see someone who's lived in that small town their whole life, I see the potential in them, but I see that they will never do it because people believe and see them the way that they are. And so like they almost have to override an entire town's perspective of who they are in order to become something different as opposed to them just making a choice. Like they have to like, you know, face the jokes, face the ridicule, face the, whatever it is, if people know you a certain way, the advantage to moving often was like, it's like, wow, like nobody knows who I am here. Like I can literally go pedicab. I can go bartend. I can go become a trainer. I can go do massage. I can go learn how to build furniture. I can like, there isn't a limit to what I can do. And there's no one being like, well, you've always been, you know, a waiter, you can't build furniture. It's like, you know, hostage by other people's expectations. Yeah, exactly. That's important, important thought. So you end up back in Texas. Once you've kind of like come to grips with like your need for, you know, Christ and the spirit in your life, how did you either distance yourself from or internalize and make sense of your psychedelic experience? How did you kind of like weigh those two things together? Did they, were they complementary? Were they at odds with each other? Um, at the beginning, I would just say that it, it integrated effortlessly, uh, my experience with Christ, um, just because it was so profound and because I was like really seeking truth and I felt like I had found truth. My biggest challenge at the time was trying to integrate my personal experience with Jesus and find a way that that fit into a church in my surrounding area. And that I think was a, was something that, you know, if you eat, take psychedelics and if you've, if you've gone there before, it is not Jesus, it's not the Holy Spirit, it's not God, but it it does show you something like it teaches you something in the same way that, you know, someone goes to Vietnam and experiences four years of the worst possible experiences in life, even though they, his, those experiences might be negative it changes that person for life whenever they walk into a building the way they do situational awareness the the traumas that they took on that they internalize all those things are now a part of that person and they can't be separated so even if the person that went to vietnam comes to know jesus and is saved and has peace like when they go into a place they will still view it from the from a perspective of someone who's been attacked before and they can have peace of Jesus, but that doesn't change. And so the same way I found with psychedelics is that it changes the way that you experience and view reality to such a degree that you can't ever stop seeing it that way. And so for me in my journey, you know, especially trying to find a church that my parents would approve of, or that seemed right in their eyes. And I'm going to write, two more books after this um one is called my god my dad my brother my friend and basically how we experience god personally uh and can have peace in that intimate relationship then how i view god through the lens of my father and then how i uh, view god through the lens of my brother who uh, believes the opposite of me 
and how I view God when I'm talking to my friends, when there's no level of offense that can happen. We're just like, we're talking and growing and just like, okay, if you disagree with me, let's explore why that is. But there isn't a level of expectation or offense built into that relationship. And so I think that we experience God through a bunch of different ways. And I find myself, uh, found myself trying to integrate into how I was raised and I would find myself going to uh, churches and I would sit in the church pew and I would literally look around and I was like, this is so hard. I mean, so hard. I'm like, man, that dude's carrying so much anger. Like if he just went and ate mushrooms and sat underneath the tree and just cried and had his heart broken, he would love his wife more than he's ever loved her. He would hug his kids instead of pushing him off his lap right now. You know, it's like, I saw like, it was impossible for me not to bring those reflections into the church environment. And so that was probably the hardest part for me was integrating that. And I, um, I tried a bunch of different churches. I found one church in Dallas I really enjoyed. And even, but then that got a little, uh, there were some lines that were crossed that didn't have peace with going in my brain. But yeah, I would say that was my biggest challenge is finding a church. And now I have, uh, we do church uh, with a small group out here. We meet at different people's homes and actually usually meet at the dome that I've created, just sing worship music and just read a chapter of the Bible and have a different leader each night and just discuss it and pray for each other. And um, almost like the original Ecclesia, Ecclesia and it's, uh, you know, meeting people's homes, small groups, do heart to heart and vertical worship. So that's kind of the church that I'm a part of now. Uh, and there's anywhere from 12 to 35 people that will be there. That was definitely my hardest part. I don't know if that answers your question or not, but um, in, in uh, the book I write that Paul went to the, was caught up. He doesn't know if he was in the body or out of the body. Well, first of all, think about that. This is Paul. He doesn't know if he's in his body or outside of his body. The Bible says that he's caught up into the third heaven and uh, what he saw and what he heard was so overwhelming that it was inexpressible, you know, and he had to come back to earth and then live on earth while having had that experience of going to the third heaven and, you know, seeing things that no one on earth had, which is to me like the craziest experience ever, like literally the craziest. And so Paul, imagine him like talking to these people and they're like, well, is, you know, bread, can we eat this bread? Or and he's like, man, dude, I've been to heaven. You know, like, what do you mean? Can you eat that bread? Like, I guess we can talk about that. I guess I can write a verse about that. But like, he's like, he's like, I've been to heaven, you know, it's like into, and so almost like that's what psychedelics can do is like, mm-hmm. you had such a deep and profound experience that it does, it's always with you. I'm not saying it's the truth. I'm not suggesting it. that people need to do it. I'm just saying that that's what happens. It's a part of the person for the rest of their life. And um, it doesn't change anything about the necessity and need for Jesus or salvation or your uh, position as a sinner or any of that. But it, it, it shows you things right. and sometimes very deep things. One of the biggest struggles of being a part of just, you know, like your local church community if you've ever had a deeply powerful, you know, spiritual or psychedelic experience is, you know, just the pettiness that we all bring, like there'll be a fight and argument over like what color we're going to paint the kitchen cabinets (laughs) or, you know, how we're going to do the landscaping. And I'll be, people will come to fisticuffs over this stuff. Oh yeah. It's difficult not to be arrogant or like uber spiritual, but sometimes you, you witness these things, you know, that go on in the, in the church culture and you're just kind of like wringing your hands, like, 
what are we all doing here? Like, this is not what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be the hands and feet of God in the world. And we're mm. arguing over whether we're going to plant petunias or zinnias, you know, and we're just, right. I mean, we're ready to, you know, tear each other's heads off over it. And that's just humanity. You know, that that's, that's one thing that I think as God's people, as Christians, as religious people and spiritual seekers, we have to recognize not only about people in general, but about our own selves is that we're still here. We're, we're, we can't escape our humanity. Mm-hmm. So, um, this side of the grave, we are all still caught up in our own little egos. And that's in some ways kind of torturous, but at the same time, if we have the presence of mind, it also can allow us to be compassionate with others when they're caught up in that, in the moment, you know, we're not always our best selves. And, and that shows a lot when we meet in a church community. So I don't know where all, where I was going with all that, but I think it, it, it's, it's always been helpful for me, you know, wherever my family has landed in different church communities it's helped me take a step back and not be overwhelmed by whatever the uh, argument du jour is Mm. and allowed, even if I can't, you know, maybe corral everyone else to my understanding of it, it's helped me personally realize that although we may be squabbling over some petty things, you know, we're all here for a greater purpose and although I'm a part of a much larger, more structured tradition than you currently are, I really respect that kind of small group home church atmosphere because it removes a lot of that pettiness because you don't have a building that people are fighting over what color the carpet is, you know, and you don't, you know, you don't have a lot of the trappings. It's much more, um, reminiscent of maybe kind of like the early church in the first Mm -hmm. century. You know, where people were just trying to uh, to serve God and serve each other. So there's a there's a certain beautiful, pure essence to that kind of Christian community mm-hmm. that I respect. That's kind of funny. Is uh, I went to a church before this, and I, I really loved the pastor of that church, and it was just you know kind of a far drive, and kind of felt called to something smaller. And so I messaged him and I was like, hey, can we have lunch? I want to just ask for your advice on, uh, you know, starting a small church. And so he's sure. Met up for lunch. And um, well, he first of all, he asked me a very pointed question. And I like it when people can at least try to offend me because that's how I grow. And um, I ask people really honest questions. And so um, I said, you know, what advice would you give me? He said, well, I just I would just tell you not to like, don't do it. It's like, huh. I was like, okay, well, well, thank you. And then we got to explore that a little bit more. And uh, he goes, Paul, I'm going to ask you a question. He said, what's wrong with the churches that already exist? Like, why do you have to create your own? I said, huh, okay, I, I like that. You know, that's a good question. Um, and I said, uh, church uh, that honestly to me feels like the highest level of pretend when I go to church and I don't know what to do with that. And I said, in the last, you know, five or six places I've lived, I've had a handful of pastors who I've been friends with. And some of them were 
the pastors of the biggest churches in the town, and they dealt with things in their life spiritually that were really intense. And they came to me as a friend because I was not a part of their church. Couldn't go to their family, couldn't go to the deacons, couldn't go to the elders, couldn't go to anybody in their body that they were the leader of. And so it was like, wait, if the pastors are coming to me, like this is way off. Like something is off within the structure of the American church right now. If they have to go outside their body in order to confide things that they're dealing with spiritually and ask for prayer and be vulnerable. It's like, it's like, so that's to me was what made it seem like the highest level of pretend, you know, uh, and nobody's perfect. I realized that. And I just did a podcast with my friend, Will. And I was like, it's also that I realized that I have the potential to be um, a source of division within a body. Um, just because if there's a pastor who's been there 15 years and he is preaching something, he says something that he said for 15 years and it's not in the Bible. And I just go up and just say, Hey, like, here's a Bible. Can you show me where it says what you just preached to all of us, you know? And he's not going to like that. Like the pastor of that church won't like that, but it's like, it's just part of my nature. And I realized that. So I'm like, this church is doing fine without me. <clears throat> and I'm doing fine in my relationship with God. Like, why do I need to interject myself into that body? If I know that like my approach to life might lead to division by me asking a question. And so I just realized that. And then I also, uh, there's a, a guy that, um, he's a poet, pastor, singer, songwriter, uh, his name is Andy Squires. He wrote a really, really profound thing the other day. And the simplicity of it was what was the profound thing. And he said, <clears throat> find a church. The casserole is going to be bad on every potluck that you have. There's going to be a lady that gossips every time. The pastor is going to get some things wrong. The worship is going to be horrible. They're going to be off key. Um, and he's like, and stay in that church for 10 years because that's what you're called to do. He's like, he's not, you're not called to find the perfect church that matches and aligns with every part of your belief system. Like you're called to be a part of a body and to grow together and to be community together and a body together and with the uncomfortableness, with the things that are wrong, you know, it's like be in it. And uh, so that was, um, I really liked that perspective and it's kind of shifted mine a little bit. And I feel in today's world, there's so many options. It's like, well, I don't like that church. I'm going to go over here. They have a little bit better worship or the pastor is a little more inspired or, you know, there, there's a, this body is much more welcoming. And so we can just like cherry pick and just move from place to place without ever fully investing into a body. And that's still a journey that I'm on, honestly. Like we've been doing this for five or six months, this home group thing, and it's presented its own unique challenges. Uh, but I love it. And uh, I work with an amazing group of guys at the Hayhurst Brothers, and um, there's like 12 of us. And every morning at work, we read a chapter of the Bible and uh, for the last four years, and that's just been amazing. Uh, so I kind of have a church there as well, just with the guys that I work with. That's um, great. Yeah, that's, that's a good fortune to be able to, your work life, to be able to reinforce, you know, your spiritual walk. Mm -hmm. so it's definitely a blessing. Well, you know, given your experience with psychedelics and given, you know, your, you know, your spiritual trajectory as a, as a Christian, as a, to some extent, as a, as a Christian leader of sorts, you know, how do you view the current tempo of the, the, you know, the conversation going on surrounding psychedelics? Do you think it's healthy? Do you, do you think it's positive? And how, how do you think Christians should interpret or engage in that discussion or practice? Yeah, it's, uh, to my knowledge, it's 
the least written about subject in culture is psychedelics and Christianity. And, you know, it's interesting that you named your podcast, The Psychedelic Christian, and that's the name of my book. So you're, you're aware of the implications of what it means to put that title out. And, you know, you're not really pleasing either side. The Christians are like, what are you doing? The psychedelic people are like, what are you doing? So it's like, you're just like yeah. isolated. You're like, well, being honest, trying to move forward with some honesty and exploring some things. Um, <clears throat> so from a Christian perspective, for me, the foundation is the Bible. The Bible is the guideline for how I should live my life. And so uh, there's a verse, uh, this is the kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking, but in righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. And if you read Romans, where we have freedom, where I believe, like, if I have a glass of wine with my wife, um, and I'm not an alcoholic, and I don't really ever even want to drink a glass of wine, I'm not really drawn to it. But if I have a glass of wine, then I'm not sinning. There's, you know, there's, there's a biblical foundation for understanding how to engage the things of this world. And uh, I had an interesting talk with my dad about marijuana and he had uh, driven to Colorado and he had seen, it was right when they first legalized everything. And he said, so, you know, what, buddy, um, my dad has a lot of wisdom. He said, uh, just drove to Colorado and, you know, it says in the end times, uh, the worship, the creation more than the creator. And he said, God made the marijuana plant. And if it has medicinal value that can help people, then praise God. He said, but right now the entire state of Colorado is worshiping that plant and they're not giving any of the credit to the creator who is God who created that plant and they're worshiping that plant. And um, so I think that is one wise Christian perspective is to realize that God created the thing and he created it with an intention. And it's a matter of understanding if you should engage his creation, and if you do, if you're abusing it or using it properly, and if God created that thing to be medicinal, like I could, you know, I could, like in the mornings, I make coffee and I have honey, uh, raw milk, um, lion's mane, and coffee. And, you know, lion's mane is a mushroom, it affects my thoughts, it makes them sharper and clearer. But if I said lion's mane in a church, everyone would be like, oh, that's interesting. What is it? You know, because the programming hasn't been there. The propaganda hasn't been there from Richard Nixon on saying, well, it's illegal. It's bad. But it's God's creation. They made it legal. And so, yes, is it being abused? Are people, you know, using it to do new age practices where they try to manifest their reality and, um, you know, become their own gods? Yes. Is, uh, is that 99.9% .9 of what you see? Yes. You know, and so that to me is the part of the biblical thing. The other thing is to be sober minded and to be of a sound mind. And where that line is for people is between them and God and prayer. And so in the book, I wrote that really the only thing that I would feel comfortable in suggesting uh, that people could be open to is if they're dealing with anxiety, PTSD, depression, brain chemistry issues that microdosing uh, with medicinal mushrooms in a controlled setting with an expert or something that can lead you, uh, if that can help you and you're not taking a synthetic drug from a pharmacy and a doctor who may be unscrupulous and driven by money and the side effects literally are listed as suicidal thoughts and hallucination. Like if you're okay with that, but you're not okay with, you know, microdosing 
a substance that God gave you that isn't putting you into an alternate universe uh, and, you know, is helping heal your brain, then to me, that's something that I, that's the only thing that I've felt peace with in saying, like, pray about it and go for it and consult people with. Um, and, you know, the verses about having a sound mind uh, and being sober minded, uh, I would say that the vast majority of people I know, if they take a large amount of mushrooms, that uh, there wouldn't be of a sound or a sober mind. Uh, they might have revelatory things and transcendent things, but that is, uh, I don't believe it's biblical to do that. Now, if someone, is, if someone is called to that on their own accord and they have peace before God, then that's between them and God. But I don't have peace in saying, yeah, man, go for it. And, you know, I in writing the book, uh, the book is very short. I think it's like 82 pages. And... Uh, I wrote a chapter in the book called Should a Christian Eat Mushrooms? And it was literally, the, the chapter was about the length of my entire book. So I cut the book length in half. So I let like 10 of my friends read the book and was like, give me honest feedback, just literally. And they were all like, man, that just leave that chapter out. <laughs> I was like, wait, that's, that's the only part of the whole book that I wrestled with for two years. You know? so, and then cut my book in half and like leave out the part that I wrestled with for two years. And um, they're like, yeah, it's just, it's, it seems like, and I realized that it was really just my own wrestling match with God on the subject and trying to understand, you know, indoctrination, the American culture, making God's project legal, the effects that I saw personally and in people that were positive that I wish I saw in Christians um, sometimes the peace that most Christians have with going to the doctor and getting prescribed a synthetic man-made drug, but not willingly being open to God's creation and understanding that, especially whenever we have receptors that God put in our body that process psilocybin and turn to psilocin. That's the only function of the receptors to do that. Like God created our bodies to have that relationship. Now, you know, God gave us liver. Does that mean I should go drink 16 bottles of wine? No, I'll die of alcohol poisoning. That's foolish, you know, but can I have a glass of wine? And yeah, if I don't struggle with addiction and I do it in private and I'm not influencing someone who else is addicted and biblically, like I have freedom in that in Christ. That's the one thing that I would just honestly feel be like, okay, yeah, pray if you have peace in doing that, then try it as a healing, a form of healing. Don't overdo it. And I wouldn't suggest anything synthetic like LSD, 2CB, 2CI, any of those things. I believe that it's very easy for sorcery or um, a bad intention to be infused in that because it's being created by man who knows what the outcome is. But, you know... I'll just go right to the deepest part of it. In my life, in the last two years, I I love people. I love to understand them. I love every part of trying to understand people. And um, I've had several friends whose marriages have ended, and they were Christians, um, and in not very good ways. And these are people who fasted, prayed, took counseling, read the Bible knew what it meant to make a covenant and a vow and a promise, had children, smart, successful, beautiful, good looking. I mean, it's like they, they should be able to make it work, you know, with the Christian model. It's like, yeah, let's work through this. Let's pray as things come up. Like we have challenges, um, but their marriages have ended. And uh, there have been a couple of them that said, will you, um, you know, will you take us out 
uh, into the woods or and uh, let's eat some mushrooms and the things that come up will come up and if that helps us heal our marriage then great and i i don't have peace with it um that's the deepest part of my struggle is because i think that the potential of someone doing that could heal their marriage like they would see things like i reflect on whenever i was like wow all that's coming from in me i'm not, no longer projecting it onto her and saying oh she's 100 in the wrong i'm just you know i'm taking all the pain and so I, I'm at a lack of why the Holy Spirit isn't doing to them what, you know, I believe that ingesting a substance can. And, you know, it's uh, in the book, I write that that's the trapping right now in the psychedelic movement is that if you take a psychedelic, you are guaranteed to have a spiritual experience, a very deep and profound spiritual experience. Like it may not be truth. It may not, but it's going to show you something and you're going to be forced to grow, whether you die an ego death or whether you become one with a tree and see what a tree really is, or whether you like talk to animal or like whatever happens to you, you're going to learn something, you know, but it, I, I'm going to pray tonight before I go to bed and I'll read the Bible in the morning. Um, and I'll have go to church service on Sunday night and on none of those experiences can I guarantee as deep a spiritual experience as a, as a psychedelic offers to someone on demand. And so if what you're looking for is spiritual growth, like the Christian way is harder. Um, and I had, I had a three-month experience with the Holy Spirit where uh, the Holy Spirit came to me every day for three months and I've never felt so much ecstasy, joy, beauty, revelation. Like literally all I wanted to do was pray like all day long. I didn't even want to go to sleep. I just wanted to pray. And the Holy Spirit's presence was with me, just showed me things, revealed things to me. And I write about three of the experiences in the book. They were kind of revealed to me during that time. And that's those experiences that I felt with the Holy Spirit are better than any drug experience ever had better than any sex ever had better than the feeling of biking 110 miles and like feeling the you know uh, dopamine serotonin release at the end of that like none of no feelings like the holy spirit and i believe that's a small glimpse into heaven and the promise of the afterlife but when we submit our lives to god it's up to god what like whether or not we have those experiences like it's not up to me like it's up to God if he wants to, like the Holy Spirit wants to reveal something to my heart and put me on my ground and on the ground in tears and just feeling overwhelming presence and love flood through my entire body. Like I would love for that to happen every single day. But the problem is that if that happened every day, I would just be on a ball crying on the ground. I wouldn't be building a Jesusic dome. I wouldn't be leading line to events. I wouldn't be a father. I wouldn't be a husband. I wouldn't be going to work. I'd be crying in ecstasy on the ground, communicating with the Holy Spirit. And so when you become a Christian, you're basically surrendered to God's plan for your spiritual growth in your life. And for some people, it happens in very profound ways. And some people it happens in subtle ways. And some people it happens in slow ways. Some people are delivered from addiction overnight. Some people it takes them 45 years and they die with the temptation to smoke a cigarette. You know, I don't have any answers to why there's not an absolute with it, but I do know that it's true. And the positive that I see in culture right now is that we are coming into a post-secular age where it was really cool to be an atheist uh, for the last decade. 
And even if you look at the media nowadays, everything is about a transcendent experience. And that's what I believe we're coming into right now is that the explosion of the psychedelic world, like literally five years ago, you couldn't even like, like if you typed in psychedelic, you would have had a hard time. Like now you literally can't listen to a podcast. You can't pick up a magazine. You can't look up a headline and psychedelics are involved. And so I believe that there is a true desire for a transcendent experience, which I believe ultimately is a search for God. Um, but I believe that only pursuing transcendence through psychedelics will leave you in the place where I was. And that is, I had a lot of deep things that happened to me that showed me a lot of things, but then my last place that I ended at the end of that 10 years was in a desperate need for God, like in desperate need for truth and desperate need for Jesus and desperate need for the peace of the Holy spirit. Like that's where the decade long of my journey led me was needing that. And, um, you know, uh, even recently I've had my, ever since releasing this book, I've had a hundred different conversations with people and like every type of person from all over the world and just really very interesting. But before I'd released the book, um, I talked to people and when people said, oh, I tripped and I met Jesus, <clears throat> it was never salvific. I was always, well, Jesus showed me what a teacher was, or Jesus showed me love, or Jesus showed me what sacrifice was. And I felt his pain and I cried and, you know, they would share those type of experiences that Jesus had come to them in a trip, but it was never salvific. And recently, like people have been saying, like I had a trip and it was a catalyst for me giving my life to Christ. Like I experienced duality, I experienced heaven and hell. Um, I realized that I want nothing to do with the demonic or Satan or evil. And I want everything to do with God and everything that's good because I've experienced that duality on the deepest level. Now, you know, the same could be said if somebody gets drunk and they get in a car, they kill somebody, they end up in jail, in the depths of despair in jail, they reach out, they call out to God and God saves them. So I wouldn't suggest that someone go out and get drunk in order to right. come to know Jesus. In the same way, I'm not going to suggest that you go eat a bunch of mushrooms, but I believe that God can work in any situation and that the pursuit of the transcendent will ultimately leave them needing Jesus in a way that they never have. And so it might prove to be good. Uh, it might just be accelerating our need for Jesus as, on a math scale. But uh, yeah, lots to talk about, a lot to think about with it. Yeah, I know someone who recently said that the church has to prepare itself to receive psychedelic refugees because I think uh, an abundant use of psychedelics within culture, people are going to. Um, even if they can't identify what that hole is, they're going to feel the absence that's in that God-shaped hole they have, and they're going to become distraught, and they're going to seek something to fill it. And I hope as Christians, we're prepared to meet them where they are and offer them the full spiritual abundance that we've received and that we feel and that we abide in. I appreciate you riffing on all that because there's really no, at least in my opinion, there's really no conclusion you can come to where you say do or don't do, use or don't use. It really boils down to wisdom and discernment. And I also recognize the struggle you feel with recommending certain things to people who apparently could be positively impacted by a psychedelic experience, yet, like you, I'm still reluctant 
to recommend that to someone because you have no you have no real bearing on what the results of that may be. Yeah, there's an un- unknown outcome is what I tell people. Right. That the outcome is not absolute. Do you mind if I ask like what, uh, this is our first time to have a conversation in person outside of email or text. Um, have you had experience with psychedelics before or do you not have the freedom to talk about on air? Um, I'll, I'll speak openly to some degree on that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. When I was, you know, uh, in my youth, you know, between the ages of say 16 and 19, uh, I had a lot of, a, a good number of experiences with psilocybin mushrooms. And um, I haven't spoken in depth on that on my podcast, but I was interviewed on another podcast, uh, Cucumber Talks. I can leave a, a link to that episode of Cucumber Talks where I was interviewed by those uh, three gentlemen. And I discussed that fairly openly. After that, you know, I met my wife and I began pursuing a traditional American picket fence lifestyle. You know, I, I mean, I partied hard when I was a teenager. So by the time I was 19 or 20, man, I was like, I'm ready to settle down, get a good job, get some benefits and, you know, start building a life and a family. And so it was an easy choice for me to pursue my spiritual disciplines, going to church, raising children, because I had experienced the negative side of alcohol, drugs, not really psychedelics. Um, I mean, I never had a negative experience with psychedelics. To me, it was always positive and relevatory. Again, in and of itself, never completely fulfilling. So I'm always... I guess, disappointed when I hear people speak of psychedelics as though they're an end in and of themselves. Mm. Um, to me, that's like crediting a certain diet with eternal salvation, uh, you know, mm-hmm. or, or a spiritual um, destination. It's, it's, it's just not enough. You know, psychedelics can become a, an important tool in someone's life, but they can never be the deep spiritual home you're looking for. And I have had maybe two um, psilocybin experiences as an adult, and those were positive. But again, to me, those, those things just aren't that important. You know, it's, it's what maybe you can gather from them or learn from that experience and integrating it into a Christian walk that is important. To me, substances and psychedelic practice are hopefully a catalyst for Christian living. You know, they're not, they're not going to give you the deep spiritual revela- revelation I think we're all looking for in and of themselves. So if you have any other questions about that, I'm willing to entertain them. Yeah. So um, you mentioned that you're part of a church. What denomination is it? I've been a part of the Episcopal Church for about eight years. Uh, I was raised Southern Baptist. Mm-hmm. And then I, as a young adult, I joined a Calvinistic Presbyterian church where I spent 16 years. And uh, you can condemn Calvinists for a number of reasons. But (laughs) one thing you can't condemn them for is uh, theological rigor because, you know, and so I learned a lot 
about theology and some of my thought theology is adjusted to some degrees since I'm no longer part of that organization, but, but I learned a lot and it was um, essential in me learning to learn, learning and implementing Christianity, not as just a Sunday morning thing, but a part of my every waking moment, hmm. you know, walking with the spirit. Yeah. You know, um, Pray without ceasing. Exactly. Praying without ceasing. I'm glad you mentioned that. Another foundational, um, something that was very instrumental in me becoming a more conscious, thoughtful Christian. I remember when my wife and I were, were just started dating uh, we kind of had a little date. We went out to the local bookstore, Books a Million, mm-hmm. got a cup of coffee, and we're perusing the uh, aisles of books. And I was beginning to become more drawn to, to spiritual and theological um, ideas. And so we were walking down the Christian philosophy aisle, whatever. And I, I didn't have a lot of money, so I was looking for a, a little book I could buy. Mm-hmm. And I found this little book. And I believe it was a translation of an old Russian book. It was called The Way of a Pilgrim. <laughs> and in this little book, it kind of fall. I wish I still had it. I need to go back and get it just so I can read it because it was so foundational for me. But the gentleman is in these various circumstances where he's kind of really dependent on, on God. And he, he just keeps repeating that Jesus prayer, you know, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that's kind of like his meditative practice for being able to come out the other side of difficult circumstances, just repeating that, that Jesus prayer. And so I started doing that. And so anytime I was challenged, you know, anytime, you know, although I don't have an issue with, with alcohol, I think, I think alcohol in moderation can be very um, acceptable or even complementary to the Christian life. At that point in time, I kind of had to distance myself from a party culture that I was a part of. Mm -hmm. So something like repeating the Jesus prayer allowed me to decide, no, I'm going to go to work on Friday night instead of going out with the boys, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so for a couple of years there, you know, I used that that Jesus prayer to kind of meditatively you know, move me in a healthy, positive direction whenever I was challenged with, with, uh, you know, temptations to um, maybe indulge less productive and less spiritually um, discerning mm-hmm. options. So. <laughs> cool. Well, they, um, and then but I don't know with, if I fully answered your question, but I've been within a part your, of, within your body that you're a part of now, do you have freedom in talking about this or is it, you have to more keep it private? Hmm. Probably have the freedom. I um, I just don't speak openly about it very often. There's a number of people in my church community, including my priests, who know that I have the podcast, and and occasionally, if I speak to someone and they seem like someone who might be interested, I'll I'll send them a link and say you might be interested in checking this out. And occasionally, people talk to me about it. But you know, as important as this topic is to me. Mm-hmm. And as much as I'm investing in it, it's still really just as just as part of my life. 
You know, it's not, it's not like this is the, the central focus of my life. You know, I have a uh, career that takes, you know, 50 to 70 hours of my time every week that I, you know, I have to devote to that. And I have three children. I have a wife of 23 years. I have, um, I serve on the vestry of my church. I'm active in, you know, local communities, uh, you know, organizations, you know, so psychedelics is something I'm interested in, but it's not something that, you know, I wear on my shirt sleeve. Right. It's not driving your life. It's like, it's like, it is an interesting topic. Um, It truly is. I mean, it's, yeah, it's not many. And uh, I've had some deep conversations with other people about it. And in, in the Bible, there are a lot of people that had, I mean, out of this world experiences, people getting raised from the dead, people transfiguring, hands appearing on a wall, writing something, people passing through walls. I mean, the whole book is just filled with like literally stories that aren't, are just crazy. Uh, so it's, it should be an interesting subject for the church to address. Um, to me as a pastor, I would, I would love that. Um, with this time that we're at in America and in the world, there seems to be a lot of things that are merging together and uh, creating momentum towards an end. And I don't know to what degree this movement is integrated into that movement. Um, and it'll be really, really curious to see because um, I've seen there's like an overlap between people that have taken psychedelics and Christians uh, with certain belief systems or even politics to some degree where, you know, they're all against uh, Epstein, like a Christian's against child trafficking. And so is the ayahuasca leader is against child trafficking, you know? Um, <laughs> and so there's, there's these different ways that truth is being sought out in the world. And I'm curious how that's going to intersect in the future. Um, very curious. So we'll see. Yeah. I, uh, I just, I want Christians to start talking about it because, you know, it's becoming so you know relevant in culture and, and I mean, we're, we're quickly moving towards, you know, legal adoption of these things. And I just don't think Christians should wait around until somebody knocks on their door and says, sign this petition to make mm-hmm. psychedelics continue to be illegal. And it's like, you know, they're just, they'll be misinformed at that point. They won't know what to think or what to do about it. So I, I don't, I don't really have answers. I just think we'll arrive at a better understanding of all this. If we just keep talking about it and podcasts are a great way to allow people to, you know, to voice their opinions and allow, you know, thousands of others at the same time to kind of chew on that and adopt it or, or argue with it. You know, I welcome just communication. I mean, I meet people who view psychedelics who think they're the bee's knees and I meet people who use psychedelics and they think they're the worst thing on the planet, mm-hmm. you know, and, and everyone in between. So yeah, um, I welcome all opinions because mm-hmm. I don't have a, I don't have a conclusion in mind. I don't have a perspective or an agenda I'm trying to push other than as Christians, let's talk about it. Right. Well, you you know, we've mentioned your book off and on, and uh, I had the fortune of getting an early copy of that and reading it quickly, maybe uh, just give us the elevator speech of like what, what's your book contain? What's, 
what's uh, what are you trying to present and uh, what might people learn from or enjoy about it? Yes. Uh, Psychedelic Christian is the name of the book. It's available on Amazon. And uh, if you want a signed copy, you can just message me and I'll send you a copy signed. The book is different uh, than most books in that it is a combination of poetry, spoken word, uh, real life experiences, my testimony, Bible verses that I feel are relevant uh, to the subject, and kind of my conclusion on Christianity and mushrooms and how they intersect. And I would say that the book is written more from a place than about a place. Um, in the same way, like I've brought up the war stories. So if someone's been to war and you say, you know, what can you tell me about war? Um, in a rare, rare occasions, uh, people will say, well, I snuck up on this guy and this thing happened and my partner was over here. But most of them tell you what the emotional takeaway was or the spiritual takeaway of the war. They're like war is hard. War is pain. Like they summarize all their experiences and then they don't tell you about war. They tell you about how they internalize war and the lessons they learn from that. And to me, this book is kind of like that. It's like, I don't tell a whole lot about it. I tell a few stories about a couple of trips and how they correlate to the Holy Spirit or the Bible, or there's some stories like that. And I could have filled, I could have made a 2000 page book with all the experiences I had, but this place was more like an extraction of the truth of God's word and the truth of who Jesus is and what people are searching for, and then a reflection, almost like a refinement slash reflection of everything that I went through in that decade, and then everything that I've gone after giving my life to Christ, and like summarizing that in a variety of ways, using the Bible, and it's creative, and I have prayed that each page would contain, contain a seed, and so if someone only picked up the book and just opened it to one page and read that page, there would be a seed inside that page that would affect their hearts and that they would come to know Jesus and it would produce fruit for the kingdom of God. And so that's uh, my intention with the book. And I think that it's going to go out in waves. Uh, this book will. And I just, I pray that it does affect people's hearts and draws them closer to Jesus while honestly exploring a subject that is uh, fringe in Christianity, but probably won't be fringe very much longer. Um, you know, in the 1920s existed and they outlawed alcohol. Now people buy alcohol, you know, uh, they outlawed weed. Now some people have weed that's legal and probably be legal in America. It's and outlawed mushrooms, probably mushrooms will be legal in the future. And so, you know, 25 years from now, if like someone goes to the doctor and they're like, yeah, I'm dealing with depression, the doctor's like, okay, we're going to get you this, you know, this thing. And it's, you know, 10 micrograms of psilocybin combined with maca and combined with, you know, a couple of other things. And it'll help with your mood and your brain chemistry. And like, it won't even be a thought in 25 years. It'll just be like, yeah, like I went to the doctor and they prescribed this thing in the same way, like I'm going to go get Advil. But it just happens that we're at a time where not only is it still illegal, but it's also exploding in America as far as the topic in the world, honestly, with ayahuasca retreats all over the world and uh, all of that. Um, so, um, yes, my book is that and uh, it's vulnerable uh, book for me. Honestly, it would have been safer for me as a person 
to not write it, <laughs> to never release it, to not talk about it because it's hard for someone who's never had those experiences to understand what you're describing. And it's um, even harder to have somebody who has had those experiences to tell them that Jesus is the answer. Um, and that's why I write, I was like, maybe you're five years through your decade long journey, like I am, and you want nothing to do with Christianity. Like, I'm just, I'll just pray that what you read is a seed. And five years from now, if God works on your heart, then you'll, this book will be part of your memory that brings you closer to God, you know? Um, so yeah, that's, that's the, uh, the essence of my book, I would say. And I think that there are different parts of it that will speak to people. And that's kind of why I wrote it that way. It doesn't read as like a, like a normal book, chapter one, two, three, four, five, it's broken up into different sections and that's highly irregular uh, as far as book writing goes. Um, but it was also just true to what I wanted to create and uh, integrated some art into it that my friend Jordan uh, helped me out with and they're from her travels and my travels and we've integrated those into art. And so it's more of it's a book as an experience as well. I wanted to incorporate some beauty and art and God's creation in there with pictures. So I really appreciated the format. You know, <clears throat> sometimes you'll read a couple of pages and obviously that's kind of a, a, a mental exercise, you know, reading and understanding as you convey your thoughts. But on some pages, you'll just have some artwork and then a Bible verse or a poem. And I almost gleaned as much or more from those simple works of art and a statement you know, as I did from the two previous pages that were full of words, you know, right. It was, it was, it's, it's a very compelling format. I, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And, uh, I recommend people pick up a copy for sure. You, you real quick, um, while we're on the topic of books, you mentioned possibly having a few more you got, you want to, uh, let us know yeah. what those might have in, might, might yeah. <laughs> so I wrote one book before this uh, called Kind of Tiny Home, an unorthodox approach to building and uh, to owning and building your own home. And uh, I had zero experience going into building a house and I built a house um, and I'm not naturally inclined as a builder. And I, it hurt my brain really bad to learn how to draw house plans and how to learn how to pass code for, you know, plumbing and uh, framing huge windows. Like it was, that's not a natural thing. It isn't, especially at that point, it wasn't natural. Um, and so I wrote a book and also, you know, I met my wife at the time and, um, it was very hard. I did it paycheck to paycheck. So I basically built a house and paid off the land in two and a half years, but also took a shower outside with a hose during those two and a half years. Um, slept in a van <laughs> and getting eaten up by mosquitoes at night. Uh, had to sell the van to get material to get materials to finish the house. You know, I had to sell my airstream. Uh, and but at the end of two and a half years, you know, instead of having a 30-year note, I had a fully paid off house that I built and fully paid off land, and it was wonderful. And so I wrote a book and that's available on Amazon and that's called Kind of Tiny Home by Paul Reese. Uh, the two books that I'll be writing after this are the one I mentioned earlier called My God, My Dad, My Brother, My Friend, and uh, just a reflection how we experience God, not only through God, but through the relationships in our life and the expectation of those relationships and how they shape our meaning and how indoctrination works, how 
peer, not peer pressure, but just like the perspective of peers or people that you uh, love affects your thoughts. Uh, and this is going to be an honest exploration of that. And then uh, the other book will be the easiest book that I've ever written in my life. It has a really good title. Uh, it's called Stories I Will Never Tell. And uh, it's uh, going to be stories of things that have happened in my life that are very real that basically I just don't tell people. And, you know, there will be some changes of names and cities and things like that. But uh, it will be very entertaining and very interesting book because um, if I tell people even some of these stories are like, what? So that'll just be a fun one for me. And then I'm probably going to do a um, audible slash documentary style reading of the psychedelic Christian, uh, just because I want to reach a lot of people with it. And because in today's world, I would say that 95% of people that I interact with don't read books. They are on their phone or computer and they'll watch a YouTube video for two hours. They'll do anything for two hours, but read a book. And you know, even knowing myself growing up reading and being a good reader, I have like three or four books on my side um, table there next to the bed. And, you know, I've read parts of them and partially through them. And they're really good writers and really good books. But I just my life is so busy that and I'm on my phone more, honestly, and it's not healthy and it's not good, but it's the reality that I live in with sales and marketing. And uh, so just realizing where this message uh, can reach people through like an audible slash documentary style where I just share where I was in my life when I wrote those chapters, like where I was in my life when I experienced those things, um, kind of giving people an inside look into uh, the book as well. Oh, so you'll be reading it and kind of fleshing out the circumstances. Yeah. So basically okay. I'll introduce the chapter and say, you know, this is, I was in Austin, Texas, you know, I was 32. This is an experience I had after heartbreak you know, like giving people a framework mm -hmm. for where I was in life when I experienced that thing and where I am now and why I wrote that way. And that's, you know, in each chapter will be different, uh, but kind of a documentary style uh, reading of the book. It's a good idea. And, and honestly, I, I mean, I still read, but I, I more and more gravitate towards audiobooks just because it's convenient. I can do it in the car. Mm -hmm. um, my job is such where I have hours of uninterrupted physical labor, so I can just turn on a podcast or a book and I can tear through it. And when I'm at home, I'm such, you know, an ADD busybody that I never sit down. So um, if I don't get up in the morning and read, it doesn't get done. So, mm -hmm. uh, so that's how I managed your, your book. I just got up, <laughs> grabbed a cup of coffee, planted myself in the leather chair and just said, I'm not getting up till this, till I read this book, you know, and it's a good uh, thing. It's a short one. Right. Well, I mean, I, the only reason I, I knew about you and reached out to you is I just happened to, uh, well, I actually got an email from Amazon and it said something about, I should put my podcast in their, in their Amazon audio lineup or something. And I thought, mm -hmm. I thought that I'd already made it available on all those formats. And I, and so I got on there and I searched the psychedelic Christian I might have just done that because mm -hmm. I expected my podcast to show up in the search engine and it did not, but a podcast called the Renaissance of men showed up mm. and I thought, well, that sounds kind of interesting anyway. And I clicked on that and there was you. And, and since then I've listened to a lot of his content. It's great stuff. Yeah. Um, and I've emailed with him a little bit, 
But, uh, and so that's how I found out. And so immediately I thought, well, there's too much overlap here just with the <laughs> name, the name alone. I've got to reach out to Paul and find out what's <laughs> going on here. And I'm glad I did. And I'm, I'm glad you were, I don't know about you. Um, I'm glad you were vulnerable enough to write the book. Um, I had a lot of hesitation in starting this podcast, but at some point I couldn't not do it. It just had to happen. So I, I just, I was compelled and I didn't even know why I didn't know. I thought this is crazy. Like people are going to listen to this and they're going to question my sincerity as a Christian, you know, but I had to, to some extent, throw caution to the wind and, and just go do it because I felt like, I felt like this is something Christians wanted to talk about or hear about, but within their circles, they didn't have the capacity to discuss it. So, I mean, I don't, I don't want to give either one of us too much credit, but I think we're doing an important thing by just throwing ourselves out there and saying, let's talk about this. And uh, yeah, and to me, it has a greater weight, like me writing that book, um, kind of tiny home. It's, uh, there isn't a spiritual weight that goes with that. Like, I don't have to, I don't believe I'm gonna have to answer to God if he's like, well, you <laughs> talked about screwing, you know, a window in place and then shooting it out. And you were mad, like, God isn't going to hold me accountable. But if I write something spiritual then and people are reading it and i'm a leader and i'm my words are influencing them then it better be biblical and it better be true um i better point them to jesus or else i will be judged and there's a great weight that comes with that and so um you know that was something i wrestled with along with you know understanding that uh people will judge me just without ever reading the book just off the title like they will never mm -hmm. read the book They'll just read the title and then they'll put me into a category in their brain. And I'm okay with people judging me, but I am ultra aware that I will have to stand before God. And that was the greater consideration in writing the book is not people's judgments, but, um, and there's been, I mean, I, in my entire life, I've have not seen so much fruit be produced in my life for the kingdom of God since I've released this book, like the conversations, the prayer, the exploration, the encouragement, the crying, um, just every different type of person. And so I am now understanding why God called me to write it. And so I'm glad that I was obedient. I'm glad that you're uh, doing it as well. And uh, I think as long as we point people to Jesus and remain true biblically, then like God is not scared of a question. Like God created what we're talking about. Like he created our brains. He created nature. He created our bodies. Like it's, he's not scared of a question. He's not of us scared of us exploring. Um, the warning should be as if, you know, we're telling people that you are God or, you know, the pointing people in the direction that the new age kind of is right now. So I think that's the danger in exploring the subject is giving worshiping the creation more than creator and pointing people to being their own God instead of needing God. So as long as we avoid that trapping, then I think it's safe. Well, I, uh, I mentioned that I heard about you on that podcast and I've realized you've actually done quite a bit of interviews and uh, it looked like maybe you even had started your own podcast in regard to the line two. Could you quickly mention line two and what you're doing there? Yeah. Line two is, uh, calling that I've had to educate my local community 
and it's proactive solutions and education for a changing America. And so uh, I think if America does fail, it's going to be within the next two years. Um, honestly, like if a collapse does happen or the apocalyptic things we imagine that uh, if we can make it past the two years and maybe leadership change or something, we might be able to come back for a little bit, but right now it doesn't look really good as far as our trajectory. And so uh, I've had, this is the third one I did last weekend and two weekends ago, and uh, I get different speakers on each time. Uh, so the first one, uh, my friend uh, Jimmy Bell was a recon Marine, eight years in Afghanistan, uh, Afghanistan and tier one trainer. And I, he, uh, he taught about gun safety and gun laws and how to protect your family, how to have absolute reverence for a gun, you know, the importance of a gun, the laws around it, and just educating people. And uh, I had Stephanie News talking about canning, uh, fermented foods, sourdough bread, kind of the homesteading. Um, my friend Philip talking about primitive wilderness skills, like how if your refrigerator goes out, like how are you going to store you if you stored? Oh, I'm about two thousand dollars worth of meat, but electricity goes out. Like, what are you going to do with two thousand dollars worth of meat now that the electricity is out? So, teaching people how to smoke, how to preserve meat without electricity, he teaches a bunch of different skills with that. And you know, my friend Jake talking about how to build community you can rely on. That's one thing we have really strong out here is like. Uh, we can rely on each other. And we've had some really intense situations where we've had to rely on each other out here. And so talking about that, I've talked about building a house. I've talked about a lot of different things. My friend Jay is talking about hunting and conservation of family and wildlife, how those hold hands. Um, 111 Beef Republic was a, were a speaker talking about local beef, you know, how to participate in getting your beef locally, TJ talking about 10, uh, absolute brilliant guy, crazy smart, but I went to John Hopkins, like got a perfect score in the SAT. Uh, he was training to, uh, on rats on to do neuro implants to where basically the same thing would be done in a human. And it's the, basically the futuristic thing where they're going to be programming us. Like if you want a dopamine, uh, hit and here's a button to click and you do this action and it, and so he realized, saw through that. And, uh, he's kind of, he's very vocal and a very strong leader and brilliant, but he has a bunch of great ideas and talks about just investments that you can do with your life. Um, just and to so, clarify, these are live in-person seminars in your community, right? Yeah, these are live. They're held at the geodesic dome that I'm finishing out. <clears throat> and my goal is that if things go down, that if people have come to these, I'm going to have a hundred different speakers on every subject that you can imagine. And if you come and participate, you will have an element of knowledge that you could at least survive or at least know your neighbor has chickens and I have broccoli and squash. And so we can survive the two families by knowing that like you have 20 chickens. I have a garden. All right. All right. Can I get like very simple things that used to exist? Read a Foxfire book. You know, it's like communities relied on each other. And that's what I'm trying to bring back right now. And I've um, made it to where it's live only. There's no recording of anything on uh, today's world. It's crazy. You can't like I literally got shadow banned for the first time on Facebook because I used the word freedom. Like, and I tagged Weston A. Price in the thing because there's these people that are from Weston A. Price and, and they shadow banned me because I tagged Weston A. Price. I was like, 
like what is this reality like i use the hashtag freedom and you're going to shadow ban me and we're in america like that's that's a thing now you know then people don't even see that um and so it may be that i disappear and become a hermit uh in about a year and a half two years and um just rely on face-to-face -face relationships but right now i feel called to kind of build that community bring in different speakers and if needed, maybe there is an underground railroad type of communication and system state to state that's built into the cause is a byproduct of this. Maybe, you know, I'm hoping that there's, you know, thousands of people like me that are realizing that things are coming and that they're willing to step forward in their communities. And that's kind of what I feel called. So the line two events I'm probably going to do. Um, my goal is to have around 100 topics explored. We've probably done close to 20 now. Uh, next ones will be preserving history. I think a local judge might be speaking, um, homeschooling, and basically this lady who's done raised six kids and teaches how to do college from home, you know, starting in ninth grade, doing uh, dual credit, martial arts, as far as like being situationally aware, knowing how to, if you're ever attacked, how to respond, like how to like what puts you in danger what like how can you just get completely away from the situation without ever getting into an interaction you know um things like that just real life things that uh, my friend zach just did uh uh blacksmithing just build little blacksmithing things backyard and got some scrap brass and just shows here's how you make this and here's how you make a hoe and got some scrap metal and it's like this is the foundation of society from you know, the beginning of creation, like everything was built off of blacksmithing. And if you have this hammer, this anvil and metal, you can pretty much make anything to survive. Yeah. And so I've been very blessed in my life and I'm finding the advantage now and moving so many times and creating relationships with people is like, I can, I'm like, Hey, I can call all those people I used to know and they're experts, you know? So I thought about uh, making line two uh, spread throughout America. I used to have a business called cleanse America and uh, helped about 10,000 people go through the cleansing process. And, uh, you know, that was online, but I'm hoping that maybe other leaders can step up and create line to events all across America. And then that can in some way be connected. Um, if, you know, in some imaginary quote unquote reality, we have to have you know, passports that are scanned on our forehead to <laughs> buy something, you know, <laughs> then maybe we uh, have an alternate system that could be, we can fall back into that. It's kind of old school. Well, you know, even if that dystopian future doesn't befall us. It's still you know, beneficial. These are the skills that yeah. our ancestors built at the foundation of society and culture on. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's important that we learn those things and hand them off to future generations. So this, this wisdom and this ingenuity is not lost, you know, at, at, Technology can only do so much for us. You know, at the end of the day, the ground has to be turned and seeds have to be planted, mm -hmm. you know, and if we lose that, we're not only losing knowledge, we're losing our, our, our tether to the natural world, which I wish I could remember <laughs> the exact verbiage he uses, but, you know, Joel Salatin often talks about the our, our natural umbilical or something like that, you know, like, mm. like, you know, as human beings, we're not separate from the natural world. Right. We're, we're, we're intimately yoked to it. And unfortunately, modern society has not equipped us 
to even recognize our relationship to the natural world, much less engage with it. Right. So I, I appreciate what you're doing in that regard. And, and, um, and, uh, you know, if possible, I, again, I know that's a local thing you're doing, but, um, to whatever degree that's something people can learn from or access via the internet, you know, please let me know so I can put that in the show notes. Also, um, are there any, uh, contacts, social media websites that you would direct people um, to? I don't have a website right now. I mean, I work for the Hayhurst. They can go to the Hayhurst brothers. We build beautiful homes. Um, we sell land as well. And, uh, I'm about to get back into furniture. Uh, so you can visit the Hayhurst brothers and that's really cool. Uh, social media is Instagram, Paul Reese, Facebook is Paul Reese, R-I-S-S-E. I try to get on, you know, the MeWe, the Telegram, all that. It's just, at a certain point, there's just so much stuff. I'm just like, I just want to get off all of it. Right. And, but I realize it's like a necessity right now in my life. And so just because I have a little tiny bit of a following on those things and it helps me promote a book or book a podcast or be connected to people from my past. And I don't feel like integrating another 10,000 people into Telegram or MeWe or, you know, whatever the things are. Uh, maybe I'll get into those in the future. But uh, yeah, so right now, Instagram or Facebook. And, uh, you know, I look back, I used to do like three or four posts a week when Instagram first came out. I think I do one like once every three months now. But yeah, that's the way. Or 940-577-9002. My phone number and email are in the book. And God uh, asked me to write the book. And so I want to produce fruit. And fruit comes from conversations. So email me or call me. And we'll set up a time to talk. I think I've talked to close to 100% of people who have sent me messages. Um, so that's another way to get a hold of me. Well. Uh, that in and of itself is a is an act of faith, my my friend. Just <laughs> putting yourself out there like that, and yeah. welcoming that kind of engagement. I, I respect that. Well, brother, any final words before we part this evening? No, I enjoyed the conversation. I enjoyed your posture in the conversation, and uh, yeah, I'll just pray that your show is successful and that you uh, God will bless you, man. But yeah, thank you very much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Likewise, it's been a pleasure and I've enjoyed the conversation. I wish you well in all your work, all you put your hand to. Uh, Paul Reese, it's been a privilege to have you today. And uh, thank you for joining us on the Psychedelic Christian Podcast. And I hope we speak again soon. Awesome. Enjoyed it. God bless. You too. Goodbye. I would like to once again thank Paul Reese for joining me today on the Psychedelic Christian Podcast. Paul has done a number of other interviews, so if you enjoyed our conversation, search the podcast apps and find other interviews with Paul, and definitely pick up a copy of his new book, The Psychedelic Christian. Also, please remember to like, share, and subscribe to our podcast, and please show us some love at thepsychedelicchristianpodcast.com slash support. And until our next episode where we'll continue to explore the intersection of Christian faith and psychedelics. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Mm -hmm.